um, middling and then, you know, failing stults of like, ooh, I can make this thing 10% better, maybe 30% better or 50% better. But if you're going to ask somebody to change a habit right, and adopt a new piece of technology, yeah. um, it's got, you know, 10x is kind of the bar. Mm, that's if you think about things that are truly, truly uh, transformational and truly tip in a certain direction, like you got to make something that's 10x better, not not 10% better. Hey folks, uh, thanks for tuning in to the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. I'm your host, Sharath. Today I have a 2x venture-backed founder who's working on a stealth startup, which uh, which uh, we're going to get into details in this conversation. Uh, Brian Swartz, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? Good, Sharath. It's, it's so good to be here with you today. Uh, th- thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to Absolutely. chat. I'm excited to dive dive deeper into your your founder journey, uh, neighbor schools, the the startup you built, uh, survived through COVID and acquired uh, later on, and the stealth startup you know you're building. Uh, but for folks who are listening, let me give you a brief introduction of Brian. Brian is a two x venture back founder, like I said, who sold his company neighborhoods neighbor schools. I'm actually quite fascinated about it. I I wish I would have learned about neighbor schools. Last year, when when I was uh, hunting for daycare centers for my kid, <laughs> uh, would have would have helped a lot. You know, uh, checklisting some of this, some of the daycares. He's currently working at a stealth startup. He's on a mission to improve connectivity and real time collaboration uh, among remote teams. Um, I'm, I'm actually excited to unpack uh, the story Brian has uh, has for us to tell. So. Right off the bat, I wanna I wanna ask the the, the obvious question. You said you were you were a two x venture backed founder. Would would love to hear about the journey. You know, what was your previous experience uh, of building startups look like? Uh, yeah, thank you. It's a it's a generous uh, introduction. Um, my I think all many pathways to entrepreneurship are different and, and untraditional, but mine is, is definitely untraditional. Um, so I started my career um, in international development work. Uh, my first job out of school was doing economics, uh, impact uh, evaluations of big international development mm-hmm. projects in Uganda. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was there yes. for two years and um, frankly, I, I saw a lot of things just fail. Right? Mm. You know, uh, my job was to evaluate these these programs, not to actually implement them. And so uh, I, you know, I'd be out in the field um, researching and trying to assess whether these programs were going to have you know, long-term lasting economic impact on the communities. Right. Um, and again and again and again, these projects would fail. Right? Mm. And they'd fail for all the wrong reasons, not because like, not not because just like the economic impact was not as high or as good or as strong as we wanted. It's because like the device itself would fail. So in Uganda, mm. I was evaluating a rainwater storage device. Mm. And when the when the shipping container of the devices arrived in the port, we held the plastic up to the sunlight and there were holes there were holes in the plastic. Mm. And so like but for very is, unob- unobvious reasons, you know, these projects get failed, right? It's it's not uh, yeah, engineering these are, or anything. These are not, you know, it's not that like the question, the, the key question was like, if young girls didn't have to walk to the well, 
and could st- instead collect rainwater, would they, the families be healthier and mm. richer in the long term? And would kids be able to go to school more? Like these were the questions we set out to study. And instead, you know, we, we just found like very basic implementation failures. Mm. And, and that was 2010 and, and to 2012. And at the same time, so I'm, I'm sitting there um, kind of in my little concrete box of an apartment. <laughs> um, and at the same time, uh, I'm reading about the internet <laughs> and startups. <laughs> and at the time, one that really captured my imagination was Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2011, I think I don't, it might've been a series A or series B. I don't know what, but mm-hmm. um, Kickstarter is, is demonstrating that the internet can, can bring people together and really unlock economic opportunity and create new products and new services. Mm-hmm. And, 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 um, and at the time, I had never heard of Chris Saka or Fred Wilson, who did that that round. But so I started reading these blogs, and and um, and I became pretty um, pretty obsessed with this idea of getting in, going and trying this out, seeing what this would be like. So uh, in 2012, I moved back to Boston, and and I um, I talked my way into a job um, as a sales engineer at a, at a SaaS startup here in, in Boston, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was pretty terrible at it at first uh, because I didn't know anything about sales or anything about engineering or software in general. Um, (laughs) But within a year or so, I discovered product management and I'd kind of figured out that this is, this is what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, And so the next, you know, next four or five years was kind of an understudy um, phase. I found a mentor in, in the co-founder and chief product officer, Sam Clemens Mm -hmm. from, Mm -hmm. from that company. And, um, so, you know, fast forward, uh, I met my co-founder there as well, which I think, you know, is just incredibly valuable. I, I've worked with some really incredible people. Uh, so 2018, Cedric mm-hmm. and I get back together and we're, we're both kind of ready to go. And we've been, we've been planning and studying and thinking about different ideas for a long time. And we finally had something that felt worthy, worthy of it. You know, we, we, mm. We we had thought of a lot of ideas that we didn't want to pursue, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and we finally came upon the idea for for neighbor schools because it it felt like a real opportunity to build software to create economic opportunity. Um, right. Back of the envelope, you know, we saw preschool teachers getting paid you know thirteen fourteen dollars an hour, and we saw mm. our friends paying tens of thousands of dollars a year for childcare. And then mm-hmm. one of my best friends here in Cambridge literally stumbled into a home daycare. I mean, there was one of these crazy like mm-hmm. families at the park said like, Oh, have you considered this, you know, this woman around the corner, she runs a daycare out of her home. And they're like, that sounds sketchy. They're like, it's legit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and I mean, you've got a young kid right now, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The first time you hear about something like this, you're like, yeah, is this real? And mm-hmm. they met this woman who had this magical little daycare running out of her apartment a block from the park mm-hmm. two two blocks three blocks from their home and you know we're talking about all this over over dinner a few nights later and back of the envelope they were going to pay 30 or 40 percent less than sending their kid to the big kinder care you know nearby mm-hmm. and you do the math and you're like oh my gosh this woman's gonna gross like a hundred to 120 K a year. Hmm. And she has it costs and she's got all like, she's got expenses and her, her home is set. But what we said is like, Oh my God, like 
why isn't everyone working this way? Why is everyone not doing this? Right. And, and that was the, that became the question that was the starting point for neighbor schools. And it became a question mm. that consumed the next four years of our lives in a good way. Right. Mm. Um, and we met some incredible women. I mean, and, and I say women because, um, Unfortunately, it is a very gendered industry. You know, we worked and we did this for years and we worked with thousands mm -hmm. of childcare professionals and, and less than a tenth of 1% were male. So, mm -hmm. um, and so neighbor schools started from this question of, can we create software that will unlock potential for right. people to go from being low wage employees to being middle income small business owners? Right. And if we can do that using software, uh, wouldn't that be incredible? And so that, that's what we set out to do. And in year one, we partnered with and built a software platform with um, about a dozen people who would go on to launch home daycares from scratch. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was incredible. And uh, you know, basically every chapter, every kind of piece of opening a small business and, and getting licensed and setting up the home and passing a home inspection and all this. As they walked through it, I basically drove all around the state helping people do this stuff. And then we'd build software to do it the next hundred times, the next thousand times. Mm. And we did that again and again and again. Um, and then, you know, Q, God, the timing was crazy. You know, Q2 of 2019, we raised, or sorry, Q3, we raised a seed round mm -hmm. and we said like, all right, this, we've got something here. Like there's, there are people that want to be working this way and, and, and our software and our services enabling it. Mm -hmm. And we closed, uh, we got, we closed like kind of late in 2019 mm -hmm. and three months later, mm -hmm. you know, COVID and, and the market shuts down. And all of a sudden, literally overnight, you know, providing childcare, mm -hmm. like licensed childcare in your home became illegal overnight. So what mm -hmm. we were, you know, we went to zero. Mm -hmm. um, and we would largely stay that way for 12 to 18 months. Wow. And so as a business, we, you know, we went into kind of, we had two modes. We were not growing at all mm -hmm. anymore, right? Mm -hmm. the, the question was, could we continue to help and serve our customers who now were looking to us to translate these terribly complicated COVID protocols? Right. Right. Um, and could we kind of keep our heads down and continue to build software and build out of more of a whole product solution such that when the market came back, which we just had to trust eventually it would, when the market came back, we'd be in a better position to actually start to grow quickly. Hmm. Um, and it, it was hard. I mean, hmm. that, that, was, that was tough. Keeping a team right. motivated uh, throughout that was very, very difficult. I think the thing that that helped us do it was the fact that, you know, every day we were talking to our customers who were trying to navigate their own businesses collapsing underneath them, right? And and right. really depended on us. So um, yeah, I mean, COVID definitely threw a, a wrench in things. Um, and it was a, a solid 12 to 18 months until we started to really see things uh, open up again, and we we saw growth kind of come back to the business. No, I can I can only imagine uh, what you went through because it was such a hard time for everybody, you know, you know, in their own way, right? Like it's 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 a devastating period. Uh, 
I I want to unpack so many things in that answer you gave. One is so let's go back to Uganda because I want to I want to understand what are some lessons you learned through that experience like you you're kind of uh there to actually monitor certain important questions like you said but you were facing some basic implementations right like how what is something what are the takeaways you took from that experience which you implemented in your in your founder life yeah it's a good good question i i don't get i don't actually talk about the uganda experience all that much one of one of my biggest takeaways from my time there um it's just that the international development needs people who are all in on international development and that might sound kind of silly uh, and mm-hmm. trite but um i think many of the failings come from the fact that the people the westerners who are leading these projects or um live in comfortable places like washington dc and seattle right mm-hmm. um and they're not on the ground actually watching these projects fail like mm. just like seeing things like fail as is um yeah without any filter yeah right they're, they're right they're they're reading they're reading the monitoring and evaluation report 6 or 12 months later the annual report that that one didn't fail but they're not seeing it they're not feeling that how stupid it is mm. that the, these projects failed for predictable and obvious and preventable reasons mm. um and so the money and the power is is not local. The money and the power is very very far away, and and then the the failures are local, right? Hmm. Um, and so I mean, part of why I left the field is that I knew after two years of living in Uganda, I could have come back to stateside. I could have set up, you know, in the suburbs of DC, and I could have been a consultant for the rest of my life, hmm. trading on my two years of quote unquote field work. Right? Hmm. <laughs> and and to me, that's kind of bullshit like mm. i think that the what the industry needs is people who are committed to living abroad for long long periods of time and, and two years of field i mean think about it if you did two years of building a startup and you're like ah oh, now i'm going to just be a startup advisor semester like, <laughs> bullshit like you don't know anything yeah. after two years right? right um and so i think you know just like anything else you just got to be all in on whatever your thing is. So, right. you know, after two years in startups, I knew something. After two more years, I knew a little bit more. After, you know, now 10, 11 years, I, I, I like to think that. It's a progressive journey. It's not like totally done. No, totally. And I'm, I still don't consider myself an expert in this stuff. I just hope that this time around with our second startup, we make different mistakes. And, and mm. we've learned <laughs> from, from some of our, our first mistakes. Right. And so... The other thing uh, which you said in the, in your previous answer about neighbor neighbor schools uh, was that a problem you saw for yourself? Meaning, did, did you have kids back then, or how did you empathize with building something that? First of all, is it like are you building for yourself versus are you building or you you're taking an educated guess and okay, there is a market, it's, there is a problem, there's a gap, let's actually fix it with a with a solution. I'm I'm glad you asked, uh, Sharath, because um, I did not have kids at the time. I've got a a daughter now and another kid on the way. Uh, Oh, congrats. uh, Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and and at the time I was building neighbor schools, my wife and I were struggling with infertility. Mm. So uh, every so often, especially a VC would like to ask me, 
was this a problem you're solving for yourself? Do you have kids? And I would just have to say no. Mm. And that, that hurt a little bit. Right. Mm. Um, and both personally and professionally, I think my job, I, I was a product manager before I became a CEO and I'm, I'm definitely a product oriented CEO. Right. My job is to build that empathy and be able to relate and, and mm -hmm. deeply, deeply give a shit about whoever I'm building, mm -hmm. whatever for. So, um, you know, no, I didn't have kids and no, actually I had never worked a day in my life in a preschool, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, but that didn't in any way prevent me from sitting with preschool teachers and daycare operators and parents as mm -hmm. they were going through their childcare search and feeling the stress of like sit literally sitting with friends while they've got, you know, three month old infants in their arms and they're like scrolling through the pages of care.com or Yelp even and be like, good God, like, how do you, how do you trust anybody on these sites with your, with your kid as a first time parent? So, right. uh, you know, I think the empathy part, I, I don't know. I think it's just, it's, that part has to be feel easy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if if you're going to go and you're going to build for anybody other than yourself, I'd say, you know, what is nice with our new startup is that we are largely building for ourselves. This one, this one is is <laughs> uh, you know, this one is is selfish in that way, and and it's funny because, you know, ten years ago I worked in in SaaS, and uh, at the time there was like SaaS for everything. It was just like you mm -hmm. know, we. At the time, I used to joke that like you know so many people would sit around in a tech office and be like, you know what sucks around here? Like the staplers don't work. I'm going to build SaaS for staplers. Like, I don't know, some <laughs> shit, right? But like, you know, people would just like look around them and anything that they could put their eyes on that wasn't perfect. They're like, I'm going to build SaaS for that. Right, right? right. So like SaaS kind of became just inundated with like kind of ideas at the margin. And I, and Cedric and I, both of us at the time, you know, we we're like, oh my God, we're not going to build more SaaS. Like we're going to do like something that has real world impact. Like, and, and neighbor schools was obviously that like the real world tangible mm. impact there like was tremendous. Um, and then this one feels different because we realized in the last year or two that there's a real, real world impact on this feeling of feeling disconnected at work, mm. not feeling like a cohesive member of a team. Mm. Um, I mean, this is not, this is not about productivity, it, you know, it's it's more about job satisfaction than productivity, and it's more about mental health and our general well being as a society than mm -hmm. anything else. You know, we're really trying to build a piece of software that makes somebody feel something, feel connected to their to their colleagues and to each other and to the mission. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, it, we you know we will be a subscription uh, software as a service. We will be a subscription model <laughs> that will be our revenue model, but um, and we will sell to businesses, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we we are building this one because all of a sudden SaaS feels really personal. Like yeah. it feels really personal this time. Nice. Yeah. I, I wanna I wanna like have a separate conversation altogether about the the stealth startup about the remote. Okay. Let's go back to a couple things uh, which you mentioned. One is so I wanna like just summarize uh, one thing you just mentioned about problem not being solved for yourself, but you still have empathy. Mm. I think there, my observation is if you're not solving for yourself and you have like an educated guess and you know there is a market and the gap and you can have the gut feeling of providing a solution and you are talking to the users, potential users, I feel you should have great listening skills, like 
amazing incredible listening skills a number 2 you should have great an ability to add ask right questions to them so that they connect with you and from the questions and the answers and the way you listen you can kind of like grasp what they want and then you kind of build for them right so uh i feel like that's that's that just want to like summarize there uh after hearing your experience so a couple of things you mentioned before even starting neighbor schools you said you you and cedric you both had some ideas that you thought would never work right like do you mm-hmm. want to share like a couple of them just for 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 old time sake like you know the things that you were like okay you know what this is crazy but sure so so um so in opportunity selection right you know i i actually think that uh, you know when i when i talk to people who are younger in their you know and and considering a path towards being a founder one day i this is one of the things i encourage them to do is like you know get really good at like very quickly like writing up a one pager on like an idea take an idea and like actually like stress test it for a few hours and like write up like the different elements of it we had a bunch of ideas some i think most of those ideas were bad well they were all bad <laughs> for various <laughs> reasons one of but like some of them it'd be like a 10% improvement on something not a 10x improvement on something mm. right? i think a lot of um middling and then you know failing startups are a result of like Ooh, I can make this thing 10% better, maybe 30% better or 50% better. But it, but you know, we, you know, I think if you, you know, you can read about this, you know, there's plenty of examples of this, but like, if you're going to ask somebody to change a habit right, and adopt a new piece of technology, right. um, it's got, you know, 10 X is kind of the bar. Mm, if you think about things that are truly, truly uh, transformational and truly tip in a certain direction, like you got to make something that's 10 X better, not, not 10% better. And so a lot of our ideas were kind of like marginally better. Um, the others were like places where I think, again, like it might be a a really big improvement, but a a really small market and just like damn hard. Right. Mm. Um, so like hard is fine as long as the market is, is enormous. Mm. Right. Um, you know, I think like a, a good example of this is like, um, uh, the plat the the guys who did plaid right you know you you hear them talk about how their earliest days they were like literally hacking this stuff people are like is this is this legal like is this against terms of service they, and they're like is it and is it fragile right um and so you know it was like it was hard but but obviously enormous and so like you keep making incremental progress against hard and, and something's gonna something could break your way um hard and small is just really really hard you know mm. um it's uh, especially in the venture model where, you know, you're raising money um, and you're kind of going after this. You're going to, you have to invest ahead of revenue. You know, you gotta, you gotta, re- if it's hard and small, it's, it's very, very hard for the numbers to add up in the long run. I love that the point you mentioned, which is when you're validating an idea or evaluating an idea, always think, is this idea going to serve or, make make a transformational impact which is 10x not 10% if it's like slight improvements i think that's a great way to uh, have a self filter for ourselves because we builders and founders we just get ridiculous amounts of ideas and we all think uh, there is no certain bar right so i love that and okay so let's talk about the the stealth startup and 
the first so the first question i'm curious about if you want to maybe like you know uh give a give a elevator pitch or something like that like what would that be like what what are you building uh what can you give away uh to the to the listeners absolutely uh, no we're we're happy to be an open book i mean we're stealth really because branding is still in development and i have no imagery to put with it so right um and, and we're moving very quickly so by the time this gets launched we we might even be public by by then so mm-hmm. um so we're building what we're building is a new platform it's a new app that you'll use at work to connect with your coworkers right? mm-hmm. um and and we're very much focused initially on helping fully remote teams feel better connected to one another mm. Um, eventually I actually think that that distinction largely falls away because everybody collaborates through right. the internet. Right. right? Um, I was talking to somebody at Figma the other day who started his career at Google and we we're talking mm-hmm. through all these different challenges. And he just made the observation that, you know, at Google in 2010, they were not remote, mm. but they were so big they're right. distributed. And so every day you're collaborating with people who they might be on a different floor of the building. They might be in a different building altogether. And so they're effectively remote to you, right? You right. are distributed. And what we're after is helping that team or your team of 20, you know, fully internationally distributed feel connected to one another. It's a feeling that we're after, right? Mm. Because we just fund, we fundamentally believe two things. One is that, um, most people are a better version of themselves mm-hmm. if they just feel connected to a team. Mm-hmm. That's true. And the other thing we believe is that it's mental. Mm. Right? Um, I can feel deeply connected to my team and I can feel like we're all you know, in sync and, and we have flow as a, as a team, as a unit, mm. and not share space with you, not share physical time and space with you. Mm. And we are building a platform aimed at helping teams feel that. Mm. So um, it is um, lofty and audacious for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. But we've also, I think, through our experience of leading a team in the transition from, you know, we were a in-person team in, you know, in Boston prior to COVID, leading a team into that transition, you know, what I would call almost reluctantly remote. Cedric and I, as co-founders, we love we love working together. I mean, the two of us, we sat five feet apart from me next to like <laughs> next to each other for, you know, six of the last ten years. Like we 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 really like turning to each other and the energy, mm. um, you know high or low, like good, bad, or ugly, if things are going really well or things are going totally to shit, like feeling like you can turn to somebody mm. is really, really valuable. Right? And and so what we're after here, you know, we kind of have like three three kind of core concepts. One is the sense of transparency. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't, I and, and other people in the organization, I don't want to feel blind to what goes on around here. And I don't want to feel invisible either. I want to know that my contributions and my efforts are appreciated and and recognized. And, um, and I don't necessarily mean like big shout out, like the big rah, rah, putting a spotlight. I just mean like 
the small stuff, right? When somebody asks you like, hey, Sharath, how's that project going? Or how, I know you've been working really hard on that thing. How is it going? Like these are these micro moments of recognition and attention that makes you feel seen. The small right? wins. And it's the small wins and those small moments. It, it's like these micro doses of attention and recognition that make you feel valued in an organization. So, right. so that's transparency. And then number two is trust, right? And trust is, is, you know, there's psychological safety and there's all these things, but trust is, is, is knowing that you will show up for your coworkers because they're going to show up for you. And that mm-hmm. reciprocity and this, this sense of, of being, being there for one another, right? Again, doesn't require sharing physical space, but it does mm-hmm. require some, some context, right? Just like a shared knowledge of uh, and empathy and, and familiarity with one another, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of research that shows that, you know, familiarity breeds trust, which breeds, or sorry, familiarity breeds liking, which is a prerequisite for, for trust and being able to be vulnerable with mm-hmm. one another. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting what you said about, because a lot of, a lot of the startups I hear, when they talk about like remote solutions, they immediately tend to think, how can we make your remote team work 10x better in terms of productivity? It's mm. it's like, okay, let's actually boost your productivity. Let's boost your outcomes. Let's boost your, uh, you know, the way you work and get get the results primarily, right? These are the tools. And I think for the first time I'm hearing, uh, uh, you know, someone, someone like you, like a founder saying, it's about feeling. It's about like inclusiveness as a team, right? And that's very interesting to me. I think I'm I'm want to want to dive a little deeper into like how you are going to solve that. If you want to maybe like you know reveal, is it like when you say platform, what kind of platform is it? Is it like a is it like a video platform or you know what was mm. it about? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good call out. Um, I think that the. Focusing on productivity, I think, starts at the wrong end. Mm-hmm. Right? I think, I think, look, think about your own career. Um, think about some of the, the really high energy, high impact work that you've done just in the last year or two. It's not times that you sat down and said, like, okay, I'm going to crush this to-do list in the next two hours. Like, like mm-hmm. sure, you can do that. Like, but that's like quick hits. That's not like the big, impactful, meaningful work. The big, big stuff it comes from feeling inspired by a conversation and interactions, you know, um, something that strikes you in a certain moment and, and kind of um, feeling like you're ready to run on it. Right. And so, so these are feelings that set us up, I think, for our biggest meaningful wins in the workplace. In terms of what Swivel as a product is, Swivel is going to start out um, as a platform that integrates Mm-hmm. all of your existing tooling. So as you go about your day as a remote worker, you're, you're going to use your calendar to determine where you are when. And you're going to use Zoom to actually attend those meetings. Mm-hmm. And you're going to use Slack for your chit, either your chit chat or your, um, your, your serious kind of questions and answers. Um, and for the fun stuff too, right? Most mm-hmm. <laughs> teams have the fun, the fun channels in Slack where people post photos of their kids, right. uh, you know, learning to walk or going for that hike or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have things like an org chart 
and you have mm. KPI dashboards, and you have, um, you have, maybe you have uh, employee bios somewhere mm. buried in a wiki somewhere that no mm. one's seen in a very long time, right? Yeah, on Notion um, Docs, yeah. In, in a Notion Doc, somebody very, in, you know, well-intentioned said like, oh, every time somebody joins the team, we're going to have them fill out this about us, about me survey, and then we'll bury that somewhere that nobody will ever see. <laughs> And Swivel is about bringing that stuff back together in a way that centers all of our work and mm -hmm. our schedules and our what matters on the people and the teams that are doing that work. Mm. Right? Um, so at its core, it's a new way to visualize your company. And so it is a visual interaction. It is graphical, which is actually part of what makes it difficult to, to describe mm -hmm. over a podcast is that it is visual <laughs> by nature. Um, yeah. We recreate the pods of people mm -hmm. that do the great work. So your marketing team is a pod of people, your sales team, your engineering team, your support team, right? Mm -hmm. they, these are pods of people. And, and in Swivel, you can visualize who does what around here? What do they do for fun? When can I next get a 30 minutes with all these people at the same time, right? And who's running late for their one-on-one -on -one with me because they're still in a high energy podcast interview with somebody, <laughs> right? And I, what we're going for here is sharing context, which creates empathy, mm -hmm. right? So um, I will admit as a CEO who has a back-to-back -back schedule sometimes uh, that I sometimes run late to my mm -hmm. meetings, mm -hmm. right? Of course, um, we've all been there, well, yeah. We've all been there, right? And so, you know, how I think about it is that, say I'm running late for a meeting with my CTO with Cedric, because uh, I'm meeting with you, right? Mm -hmm. If you were in our physical office, right, Cedric would see that we're still in that conference room behind that glass wall. Right. And when I came out five minutes later and I hustled, like, I showed that I was like, you know, I was like, hey, you know, sorry, man, sorry, I'm late. Like, as me, was Shara. He'd be like, hey, who's Shara? Like, what were we talking about? Right. right. Just that teeny, like 10 seconds of context and conversations like, hey, is this guy you know, does commu great community work at Threado, runs a podcast? Cool. Okay, cool. On to what we're on to. Hmm. Right. In six seconds or less, Cedric has more interest, context, empathy for what I've just been doing. Hmm. And, and he's no longer pissed off that I'm running late for my meeting because he's got all that empathy. Right. And so what we're trying to do with swivel is bring back that context, that peripheral, mm. right? the peripheral knowledge that is largely lacking in remote. And if we can do that, if we can do that again, what we're after is a feeling, right? After this feeling of being part of a team connected to one another, because I think the, the third thing that we're really big on is accountability. Mm. And for us, accountability is not accountability to the boss. Right? Accountability is, accountability to your peers mm -hmm. right and i think you know i'd be curious actually to get your take on this but if you think about the times in your career where you've worked really hard mm. right how much do you feel like you were doing it for the boss for your manager your direct manager versus doing it because a sense of kind of mm. collective accountability with your peers mm. that's a great that's a great point yeah i think it's kind of, I think, maybe 50-50, I would say, some of the things that come from top-down, we tend to work as a task, and we just want to mm -hmm. rush, it, rush it out and, like, 
completed mm. and the, the later 50 is like very proactive right like we want to start something together with with the buddy of mine in the team let's build something together like a small feature set or like like a content piece or anything i think the self starters we have accountability to each other versus if there is a task being assigned then it's more mm. of like yeah you know i have to be accountable or responsible i think accountability is kind of like a it's like a it's like a two way coin one one side is responsibility and the other side is actual accountability right mm-hmm. if if it is given to you then it's responsibility if you own it then it's mm. accountability you see what i'm saying so i i i i think you answered your question uh yeah i think giving the transparency is really important you know i feel remote as a remote team ourselves in at threado we face same similar challenges like we don't have the empathy well we it's not intentional unintentionally we don't have the environment to actually have the empathy because we don't know who's having lunch who's having dinner especially when you live in the us and most of the team living in like different time zones we have no clue like okay are they living in are they having lunch or dinner at this time when we are actually seek their attention or anything like you said you're saying like are they meeting someone potential that helps the whole company or they're just having like spending their t- some time with their kids or doing like a like a flow state session with themselves right so i think we have to do these things manually and be very we over communicate mm saying that hey we do these things so that people can feel empathy towards us but i would love to check out swivel and try to like you know uh try to incorporate in our ecosystem and see how it works but that's a great that's a great way of uh solving the remote culture and while you're explaining the whole uh product i got this one liner that came to my mind like one line pitch it's like if you use swivel you live in an office without living in an office right you work you work at a office without working at an office you know it's like you can, yeah, you can observe other people you can actually uh see what others are doing it's kind of like the glass walls you know <laughs> so it's Yeah, it's it's right on and I think uh you know maybe we'll get you in the beta because one of the things that you know we're, we're launching private beta within the next week or so here and um one of the things that we're trying to actually figure out from a aesthetic and and I, I mean we just believe that like design and aesthetic and and UI for this is so so critically important for it to feel instantly mm-hmm. um comfortable and familiar um and we're actually playing around with how much of the real world analogies do we want to bring in should there be conference rooms or should they just be spaces where people meet right should there be mm. should there be couches cuz like you know it used to be that like i'd hang out on the couch occasionally and people could like kind of like drift on by and if i didn't have my headphones on i was at the couch it was a good indicator that like i was open for a little chit chat right mm. um and so if executives want to host office hours i mean lots and lots of remote teams execs host office hours all the time right now and nobody goes because nobody knows they're happening like there's no visibility right. there right and so part of what we bring back is that visibility and that mm. feeling uh, of that there's something going on around here so uh we'd love to we'd love to get threado in it we'll, we'll we can take that take that one offline 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love that. I, 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 a quick question: Why stealth? You know, when when we live in a world where pretty much everybody's building in public. You know, I'm a I'm more of like a pro building building public type of a guy. Like I've I've built my products entirely in public, very transparent. Uh, everybody knows what I'm doing. Why stealth now in this day of age? It's a great question. Um, and I think we'll be out of stealth um, really as soon as we have branding that we can slap on this thing. Um, so, you know, if you, if you want to follow our journey, the best place that we're sharing it is on LinkedIn right now. Um, mm-hmm. where there's tons of people who are very passionate about figuring out how to make remote work work for them and their organizations on LinkedIn. And so there's a really vibrant conversation happening there. And we are, we are uh, starting to share not just our perspective, but you know, every week I have more and more founders reaching out to me to talk about exactly this, and, and we're starting to share some of those things there. So the stealth, I think, is is uh, you know we we literally started this project um, February first, so so we're less than ten weeks in here. So very mm-hmm. shortly we'll, we'll, we will have a, a website and uh, a, a name and a and a logo that, that people can start to check out and sign up sign up for the waitlist. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we'd love to check that out. And any. So it's a big transition. One thing I want to also cover is in this podcast, you went from solving childcare's, you know, problems to to a whole new another level, which is you know working with remote teams, empathizing with them, and how did how what was the transition like, and what what made you think about after post acquisition of neighbor schools? What was like your mindset? when you're thinking about the next thing you're building and when did this hit uh, right on the yeah. spot? Good, good question. Um, so, you know, my co-founder Cedric and I, we've worked together, you know, like I said, for going on 10, 11 years now. And after the, the acquisition closed last summer, you know, we, we were with the acquiring company for the duration of the year. And during that time, we were trying to figure out what, what would come next. Mm-hmm. And, we really didn't know. You know, we didn't know if we had the energy to go again, or mm. whether you know there was something, there was an idea that would be again worthy of it. Because, like like I said, you know, we we really only want to spend our time on things that truly matter. Right? Mm. So, um, you know, life is just too short to to work on on small things. So, um, and then what happened? <laughs> What happened, so we're both kind of, he and I are both kind of morning people. Mm. And we got started on this this idea that would eventually grow into Swivel. And um, we started to realize that every morning we'd, we we made ourselves a little Slack channel. So, you know, again, to separate things out cleanly. And every morning we'd find ourselves both on Slack a little bit earlier and a little bit earlier and a little bit earlier <laughs> and, uh, because we wanted to get good cycles in on thinking through this problem and unpacking it from a, a product perspective and a go-to-market perspective and, and you know, reading and, and researching and sharing ideas and just jamming on it. And you know, eventually I think uh, it got really early, like five o'clock uh, mm. became, and Cedric actually wakes up even earlier than I do. So um, you know, he, he would be up in the four o'clock hour and, and kind of, we'd sync up some days, um, you know, just before our day job started at nine and, and, you know, we'd, we'd compare notes and we're, and I think eventually it kind of became pretty obvious that, that we were feeling more energized 
building again. Like we had it, we still mm. had kind of that spark and, and that desire to build software that can solve real problems. And this felt like a real problem. So, mm. um, yeah, I think if not, again, if, if not for Cedric, if not for having like kind of a, a 10 year partner, who's mm. as all in with me on this as anybody could ever ask of any co-founder, um, I definitely wouldn't have done it again, but, but, uh, we both kind of started to feed off the energy of one another and, and, and became apparent that, that this one was really personal. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one last little thing here, which is, um, for swivel, you know, I, on my mom's side, I got a big Irish family. So I'm the oldest of 13 grandkids on that side. So well. basically <laughs> every year for every year for the last five years, and you know, there's been somebody graduating from college and starting their <laughs> career. Right. Um, and part of this is like, you know, as those kids graduate college right now, and they consider their careers and whether they how they want to work and how and what they want to do, I think that the current the the status quo of remote is not good enough. Hmm. Um, it's not going to give them the opportunities to have work be a really big and meaningful and valuable piece of their lives the way it has been for me since mm. you know since i graduated and i cannot i cannot imagine where i would be if i graduated in or if i started my career in tech and you know what remote looked like in 2020 2021 2022 and so again you know this one is this one is something that we we're pretty passionate about working well, on yeah i love that i love the behind the story i think some point we have to bring cedric into the conversation. I want to just talk to that guy and like, you know, both of your journey as co-founders for the last 10 years, it's been, I love those bonding stories because in a, in a day where, where we live in, we need quick wins and people just tend to like, you know, stick for a shorter term. Once we have the win, we just like, you know, rub off each other and like, you know, go parts ways. So I love, I love people hearing stories when people say like, okay, you know, I know this guy for like 10 years. That's, that's long. <laughs> That's long. Uh, tell me about like uh, about Swivel in in a much more detailed way. Like you know, what are, what are your next plans? Have you acquired funding? What's what's the current situation like? You have a team. Uh, maybe like you know, you want to plug some some things that you've never talked about and sharing with our audience. Sure. Yeah. You know. Again, we we have not released any of this, so this will probably be our announcement. But we started February first. Um, we we have a a really great group of investors who are backing us. Um, almost everybody that we've worked with um, at our last startup, mm. um, and just feel tremendously grateful that even in, even in this you know crazy Q one of twenty twenty three that we've had, um, they quickly came together to to back us in in part because. Um, I think we we handled the the last one as well as we did, and they also mm. see the potential in in Swivel and, and what we're building here. So feel very fortunate to have that in the bank. We've got a, a you know we're going to be a core team of five, mm. um, really really heads down on product and engineering. Um, you know, our our only goals right now is to build a platform that teams love um mm -hmm. so you know we we won't be investing in go to market or growth at all until you know i get 
five or 10 teams like a threat or mm. the other teams here in Boston that we're already talking to or, or national for that matter. Um, yeah. So we're, we're looking to partner up with teams of between um, about 30 to 200, 300 right now will be the crew, the teams that we initially launch with. Mm. Um, and what we expect and hope to happen here is that we'll actually pretty quickly come to replace your calendar habit. Mm. Um, if you think about, how you use your calendar for most small intraday tasks. You know, mm -hmm. you, you went to your calendar to click on this link to join me, uh, mm -hmm. you know, here today in Riverside. Um, but it didn't add a tremendous amount of value outside of just like having a link for you at the right time at the right place. And with Swivel, we're going to try to make that a, a, such a, a richer experience. And you will kind of throughout your day, pick up this valuable context and, and build this empathy for, all the great things that are happening in your organization, just going to your next meeting in the way that, again, in the way that you used to in the office, you know, walking down the hallway to get to the next conference room, you'd bump into somebody or you'd see a, a meeting going on at the corner of your eye, it would spark something. And so, you know, we are, we're heads down right now on, on product and, and build. Um, we want to see, we want to really, really nail that use case and work very, very closely with a small number of, of customers and and because what we do know is that um if it clicks right if we mm. can really nail this use case um and we can really start to add value as as you go about your day right. um you know the, it the, the the potential to scale that is is incredible um but we want to be very very sure that we've we built something valuable especially in you know as as you know the funding uh, environments are are different, so we're not right. going to start to throw money at or, or you know pour fuel on this thing until until we feel like we've really got it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward for 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 testing the beta and like you know and spreading the word as well. Uh, before we close out, I want to ask like one last question. You've been through so much, you know, with with neighbor schools, with the whole Uganda experience, and you work at Boston at a couple of startups, and you're building this swivel right now. Uh, if you want to like maybe point out like five important lessons throughout your journey to founders, mm. uh, like beat beat from your Uganda experience or survival through COVID and keeping the customers intact as well as like, you know, the team and now building this new thing with new energy, you know, with same old people, uh, mm. What was like? What were the five things you want to mention, or five important lessons? Oh man, uh, I'll 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 take a stab at it. I'm not sure I'll get to five. Um, uh, it doesn't matter. Just like I think the most important lessons that you want to pass along for the listeners. Um, maybe the most important thing is to to really believe in what you're building and and never lose faith in that mm. and i but i think that that has multiple parts to it i think some people over index on what field they will work in yeah. um and i think you need to balance that with the people you're going to work with mm. and what that and what that work is going to look like i think you know the outside of startup land, I think, you know, um, a very obvious example of this is doctors, mm. right? you know, people 
as a child, what you think being a doctor is versus what being a doctor actually is and what that looks like in your 20s and 30s, very, very different. Right. right. <laughs> um, and um, I'd say in startups, you know, now I, I talk to founders who want to work in climate or founders who want to work in, or, or actually who are still trying to innovate uh, in childcare. Um, and I applaud those efforts tremendously. Mm. Um, and it's not a, but it's an, and I think you just want to make sure you're working with really good people. Um, mm. cause I think that the through line here is, uh, it's your day to day, you know, like day to day, what you do as the founder of a childcare, you know, startup is a lot like what you do as the founder of a fintech startup. You're hiring people, you're raising money, you're setting direction, you're motivating people, you're leading a team. Like those things are commonalities. And so what matters there is how is the caliber of the people you work with. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I, again, I, I want both. I'm, I want to work on meaningful projects meaningful problems and projects with good people. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that that would probably be like the single biggest mm. thing if I think about, you know, my, my career to date. That's nice. Awesome. That's a great, great lesson and a takeaway. I hope like listeners, uh, get the, get the gist of what Brian is mentioning. Uh, Brian, this has been amazing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to try swivel and like, you know, help as much as I can in my, in my experience and, you know, help you win. Right. Like we love, I love personally, like people like you who are, who are in this game to play long, you know, uh, and really try to build solutions, uh, for the better. So, uh, this has been great. Any, any last words before, before we close out the, the episode? No, Sharath, it's, it's been great to chat with you. Thank you so much, uh, for, for great questions and, and, uh, and, and, yeah, you brought me back to a couple of stories I haven't shared in a long time. So it was, it was real, real, real. Yeah, I, lo I love that. Yeah, that's the whole point of, you know, bringing that, unpacking the stories, right? Uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in for the listeners. And uh, we'll be back with uh, another episode next time. So stay tuned and check out other, other uh, episodes I have. See ya.